Judges chapter 6. Begin reading in verse 1. The end of Judges 5 is the song of Deborah and Barak, where they defeated Sisera and the Canaanites. Song of great praise to the Lord. The change of things when you open up chapter 6. The land had rest for 40 years in chapter 5, but then things uh, turned south, so to speak. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, that ye have not obeyed my voice. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah and pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now I'll turn to Hebrews 12 just for a moment. I want to read the first two verses, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience 
the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Lord will add his own divine blessing to the reading of his word for his namesake. Let's seek the Lord together in prayer. Let's all pray. Gracious God and Father in heaven, it is once again in Jesus' name that we come and plead with thee for the blessing that only thou canst give us. We need to hear from heaven. Thy servant needs to be able to speak as the mouthpiece of God this morning. May he be a faithful deliverer of thy truth. Get him beyond the notes on paper. And may, Lord, thy people know that God is in their midst, that thou hast indeed a word for them, a word upon which they can hope, upon which they can earnestly pray and plead at thy throne of grace until the answer is given that they long for. Draw nigh, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. These were dark and difficult days for Israel. Gone were the the glory days of Deborah and Barak, who triumphed gloriously over Sisera and the Canaanites. That nation severely oppressed the children of Israel for 20 long, miserable years, but God raised up deliverers in the persons of Deborah and Barak to bring the captivity of his people to an end. When you read the fifth chapter of Judges and you read that song of Deborah, you realize those were very happy days in Israel. They were days of great singing. But 40 years have passed and the singing has stopped. Things have changed. Their songs of gladness have been replaced with sighs of grief and groans. The reason for this is that the Midianites and the Amalekites have come into the land by their tens of thousands to take over that land. They came, the scripture says, as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. You can only begin to try to imagine what it must have been like if you had been living in the land when you see tens of thousands of the enemy come take up residence, and they're there to destroy it, to wipe it out. They were awful days for the children of Israel. Every time they tried to plant crops, the Midianites came in and destroyed them. Food was scarce, but sorrow and pain and fear were not. The fundamental reason for all of this trouble and affliction was that, you read in verse 1, that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they had gone a-whoring after the gods of the heathen. 
The godly influence of Deborah and Barak was now gone, and a new generation arose. Forty years have passed. You've got a new generation on your hands. And that new generation wanted to be like the world around them. They wanted to be like the heathen, insofar that it would even worship their gods. So the Lord delivered his people into the hand of the Midianites, who greatly impoverished them. And if they thought that it was bad, those that might have had a memory still, if they thought it was bad under Sisera and the Canaanites, they found that the judgment of God can increase in severity. You think that was bad? You haven't seen bad yet. It was really bad in the land of Israel. But that, that judgment that God sent had its designed purpose, and it moved Israel to begin to cry once again to God in prayer. However, even though they are crying to the Lord for help, he let the oppression of his people go on for seven long years before he took action to deliver them. So the question that arises is, why did he do that? Why did the Lord not, with that mighty hand of his and that outstretched arm, deliver them immediately? When you think of how easy that would have been for him to do, to just step in and deliver them. When you realize that there is not another being in all the universe that is so, so ready to run to the aid of his people, to rescue them, to hear their cries and their affliction, why didn't the Lord just smite them down as he did a number of years later in Hezekiah's day when Sennacherib came with all of his host against the children of Israel? And Hezekiah had only offered up one prayer for deliverance. Instead, the Lord takes what seems to us to be a slow and roundabout way to deliver them as he puts into operation a train of events of more ordinary human agents that no doubt must have severely tried the faith and the patience of the Israelites. Why? With all of the Lord's infinite pity and his infinite tenderness, why did he adopt a method that left the people of Israel for a long, long time in great perplexity and in great pain and in constant danger. Why did he do that? Well, William Cooper had it right. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. But the mystery of the divine will aside, we can say that the Lord takes this way with his children for a number of reasons certainly the least of which is not that to show them the evil of sin and idolatry, what got them into this mess in the first place, to test their faith 
so that that faith would grow because it's not going to attack, uh, grow in advance unless it's tested, unless there is adversity, unless you actually have to use, if I may say, the muscles of faith being exercised that they can grow. It's not going to happen. Truth be told, we would just rather, oh yeah, comes to mind now. Wouldn't it just be nice if God just sent revival and fixed all our problems? I think that's how we often think. And I personally believe that totally apart from any heaven-sent revival, far, far more can be done by just living the normal Christian life. It's like a quick fix. Just get rid of all of our problems and send revival. The Lord didn't do that in the land. It was seven years. Seven years. He was testing their faith that it might grow. And to instill in their hearts that, that, that feeling of, you need me. You need me. And you cannot get by without me. It's going nowhere without me. You're going nowhere without me. I want you to depend on me solely. I want you to feel how much you actually need me in your life. That you cannot do without me. To put in us that desire for him above and beyond anything else and anyone else, the desire, the longing for him. You and I must remember that when in, in, the, in the midst of dark and distressing days, that the blessing of God, this deliverance, this help from the Lord, when it seems to be so long in coming, why are you doing this, Lord? It is this design to teach us that sin carries a high price, but that he is a God of great mercy that will use, he will use these weak human vessels to win great victories through our utter dependence upon him. That, that brings me to the theme that I want to trace the next two Lord's Day mornings with you from the two passages that we read. You may have noticed the word look in one form or another in both of those sections. Here in Judges 6, we read that the Lord, verse 14, the Lord looked upon him. He looked upon Gideon. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, the apostle says, looking unto Jesus. The Lord looks upon Gideon. The Lord looks upon his servant. In Hebrews 12, it's the Lord's people looking upon Christ. These are two looks that are needed in every Christian's life. The Lord's look upon us, and then we Look upon the Lord. Two vital looks when times are hard. It was hard for the Hebrew believers. It was a hard, hard day for them. It was a hard day for Israel. 
You have two looks, two vital looks when times are hard. And it's by these two looks that any child of God, no matter how faint, no matter how fearful, no matter how feeble they are, no matter how, how difficult or distressing their circumstances may be, can walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort and joy of the Holy Ghost, regardless of the circumstances. Indeed, they can be a Gideon and be used by God to achieve spiritual victories that they never thought were possible. Who would have thunk it? So the first thing and the only thing I want to deal with this morning is the Lord looking upon his people. That's the thought, the Lord looking upon his people. Note the importance that the Holy Spirit gives to this look. The text does not say in response to Gideon's lamentation about how bad things are. The text does not say, and the Lord said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. The text says, first, the Lord looked upon him, and then he said, go in this thy might. Do you think that's there for a reason? I know it is. So there's something we are to learn from that little phrase, the Lord looked upon him. Something that has everything to do with things turning around in the land. Something that has to do with Gideon's ability to rise above his despondency, his fear, and defeat the Midianites and deliver Israel. That look had everything to do with it. What we find happening here in Judges 6 is it's this real-time experience, a living picture of what is described numerous times in the Word of God when the Lord is said to look upon His people. That's a very interesting word study. It's a theme that would be fascinating to trace out in the Word of God, how that's so often used of the Lord looking upon His people. Never done that. Psalm thirty-three, eighteen. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. The eye of the Lord. Now God doesn't have eyes. God is spirit. Doesn't have bodily parts or passions as our confession of faith teaches. No eyes. It's a poetic expression to describe the, the favor, um, the love, uh, the protection, the care that God shows his people. We're called the apple of his eye. My, my eyes on you. I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching and I see everything that's happening. I, I see everything that you're thinking. I'm well aware of it. I'm constantly focusing my attention, and only God can do this with all of his people simultaneously. I'm constantly focusing my attention upon you. I see where you are. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. My eye's upon you, and it's a gracious eye. It's a good eye. 
It's an eye that's there to see when you need my protection, when you need my deliverance. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, he's, he's quoting Psalm 34, 16, when he says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Eyes and ears. His eyes are upon the righteous. But the face of the Lord, notice the imagery now being constantly, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The Lord's eyes are over, upon, or for the righteous, but his face, his eyes are against them that do evil. So therefore, the look of the Lord can be a look of approval. It can be a look of acceptance, or he can look upon them with disapproval. In fact, the text that Peter quoting in Psalm 34 goes on to say about them that do evil, his face is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And that's why this, the prophet, by the way, in Isaiah 63, and again, he's dealing with the time when the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity. It was a bad time. It was a hard time. What does he say to God? Look down and see what we're in. Look down. I mean, did, did God not know what trouble they were in? Surely he did. He sees everything, but there's something special about this, what he's saying. Look down from heaven. In Psalm 21, verse 6, David speaks of the Lord's mercy toward him in these words. Thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. Now, what's David saying? You've looked upon me. It makes me very happy. Or Psalm 42, you might know better. David is depressed. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of what? His countenance. His look. He goes on to say a couple of verses later, I will yet praise him for the health of his countenance. It will do me good, the Lord looking upon me. You find the psalmist in Psalm 80 praying to God. It's a, if you know Psalm 80, you know these are hard times for the Israelites. Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Cause thy face to shine. Look upon us and we'll be saved. It's really grounded in the words of the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The word is shalom, prosperity. You see what a difference it makes when the Lord looks upon his people like this? 
So what happens when the Lord hides his face? What happens? You read that in the scriptures. The hiding of God's face. God had been hiding his face from Israel for seven years. Hiding his face. He was not looking upon them in this way that we've been reading about. You put all that together and you find what the Spirit means when the Lord looked upon Gideon standing there, threshing the wheat by the wine press, discouraged and despondent and fearful and distressed. It is that he blessed him by looking upon him. He blessed him with his grace, his power, and his presence so that the Gideon was transformed. He became a different man. You know, Gideon was there because he was afraid, didn't want to see the Midianites him beating out the, the wheat by the wine press, doing it secretly. And he becomes the, the, the one who is willing to go against this massive army with nothing but a lamp and a horn, a trumpet. That's some change, brothers and sisters. And it happened because the Lord looked upon him This is what you and I need in difficult times. These distressing times, these times of discouragement, of despondency that leave us feeling defeated and hopeless. That's how Gideon was feeling. We need the Lord. You and I need the Lord to look upon us. To come to us. To shine to make us, as the scripture says, exceeding glad with his countenance. To be gracious unto us and to give us peace. And that's when our countenances will shine because God's countenance has shined upon us. I, I, I want you to take this to heart when I tell you that our prayer more times than not needs to be, Lord, look upon me. Lord, look down upon my situation. Gathering together in the prayer meeting, collectively in saying, Lord, look down upon this church. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That means upright, sincere, not divided. Look. Lord, see the mess that I'm in. See, see the affliction that we're feeling. Cause your face to shine. And that's all that's needed. When the Lord's face is not shining, 
You must cry for the Lord to cause it to shine, and we shall be saved. You know, brothers and sisters, you can give a thousand and one reasons why you're not sensing or feeling or seeing help and deliverance, and whatever the case might be, a thousand and one reasons, and you're just spinning your wheels until you come back to this. There's one thing that remedies the whole situation, the Lord looking upon you, the Lord's face shining upon you. That's it. You're spinning your wheels looking for anything else because God says, I want you to depend on me alone. I want you just to trust me and realize how desperately you need me. It's one thing to say it. It's something else to feel it. Now, there are several things in the passage that should encourage us to do this. Yep, hard times. It was hard times for Gideon and for the Israelites. Notice first, please, that the Lord looked on Gideon. His face shone upon him, as it were, to keep consistent with the language of Scripture. The Lord looked upon Gideon at a time when the work of God seemed irrecoverable. He looked upon Gideon at a time when the work of the Lord seemed to be irrecoverable. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment with a little bit of sanctified imagination. You're there threshing wheat behind the wine press because fear of the Midianites. You have been watching the Midianites impoverish your nation for seven long years. And their prayers for deliverance have gone unanswered. Your own father has an altar to Baal. Gideon's father had an altar to Baal in his own house. In spite of the judgment of God that was on the land just for that very thing, for idolatry. I mean, they are suffering because of this, but his father still has an altar to Baal erected in his house. And he's worshiping him. The darkness of the day and the apparent hopelessness of the situation did not prevent the Lord from looking upon Gideon, from shining upon him, and from telling him that all is not lost, Gideon. It was bad, and it seemed to be beyond recovery. But the Lord said, no, it's not beyond recovery. Satan, working hand in hand with our own unbelief, will try to persuade us that we are in a lost cause. He wants us to come to the same conclusions that Gideon came to when Gideon said, the Lord has forsaken us. Has that been a conclusion that you've had about Phoenix Free Presbyterian Church? Has that gone through your mind? The Lord's forsaken us. It's beyond recovery. All that is needed, all that is needed 
is for the Lord to look upon you. That's it. All that is needed is for God to cause his face to shine. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Yet how often is it true, brothers and sisters, that we do trust our frame of feeling, our frame of mind. And if it's a good frame of heart, a good frame of mind, we trust in that. And things are going to be good, but as soon as that frame of heart and mind changes, things are going to be bad. It's utter folly. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of my emotions of my mind, but wholly lean on Jesus' name and believe that all that we need is God looking upon us. Gideon was transformed. He wasn't the same man after God looked upon him. Imagine that, child of God. You being totally transformed because the Lord looked upon you. And everyone will know it. To get that, everyone will know it. He's not the same person. She's not the same woman. Things have changed. What's happened? God caused his face to shine. We would take to heart the prayer of David in Psalm 119. David, here's his prayer. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is under divine inspiration. Listen to what he prayed. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou used to do unto those that love thy name. That's what I need. Look upon me. God saw him. He knew everything. He's saying something more than that. Learn something else about what this look of the Lord means in these hard times. Secondly, the Lord looked upon Gideon in spite of his blindness, his unbelief, his discouragement, and his despair of God. All that was found in Gideon when the angel of the Lord appeared. The Lord said unto him, here's what he said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Uh, it's often been comical in my mind when I've tried to imagine the situation, this angel of the Lord. This is Christ pre-incarnate, right, appearing. The angel of the Lord appears by the oak tree enough and says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Here's Gideon behind the, hiding behind the winepress, threshing wheat, you know. I've often wondered, did Gideon, who's he talking about, me? A mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. He was riddled with blindness. He was riddled with unbelief and discouragement and despair. All that he could say when he heard those words, here's what he could say. If the Lord is with us, and if I may paraphrase now, why are we in this mess that we're in? If the Lord is with us. 
Where are all those wonderful miracles that we've heard about of bygone days? Where are all those glorious deliverances and, and rescues of thy people? No, you're wrong. You're wrong. The Lord is not with us. The fact of the matter is, I don't know who you are, but the Lord has forsaken us. That's the facts. Can't you see? Open your eyes. That's what he's saying. He has delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. But you see, here's where Gideon's blindness and his unbelief and his focus is so much on how bad things are that he has failed to remember, well, if the Lord had forsaken you, why in the world would he bother sending a prophet with a message from God to upbraid them? I mean, folks, when the Lord is done with you, that's it. There's no more messages. There's no one coming with a word from God for you if he's done with you. Nothing more to say. But that hadn't happened to the Israelites. He had sent a prophet to them. You see, the problem was that Gideon was not aware that he was actually standing in the presence of the Lord. This was a uh, Christophany or a theophany, whatever word you like to use, an appearance of Christ. He was not aware. It was the Lord there talking to him. If Gideon had just discerned that this was the Lord standing before him, as he did afterwards, you find that he got it later, oh, that's the Lord, he would not have spoken with such irreverent unbelief. I mean, the angel of the Lord is saying to him, the Lord is with you. The Lord's not with us. Are you blind? Let's just put the, put the face on that needs to be put upon it. That's what he's saying. Imagine that. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We hear the same promises. We're given the same assurances. And we say it's not so. If it's so, then how, why is this, this, and this happening? Imagine that. The audacity. But it's just not being aware that the Lord is there. It's the Lord's word. If he had if he had just recognized it, if he had just realized at that point in time, he would have been thrilled just to hear that Jehovah himself was with him. But sadly, the only thing, the only thing that Gideon can seem to believe is that the Lord has abandoned them and that they were doomed to just trying to eke out an existence just to get by day by day. That's where he was. Spiritually, that's where he was mentally in the whole situation. No, God's done. 
We just got to try to get through each day. But you know, the wonderful thing about this look, it was to just such a man that the Lord came and looked upon him and changed him with that look. Can it not be said of us that we are often found like Gideon, looking at our own personal or church situations, circumstances, and concluding that all is lost? Abandon ship! Abandon ship! It is really, it's faith in unbelief. That's a strange way of thinking, but that's what it is. You're trusting unbelief. There's no deliverance of the Lord coming. There are not going to be better days. There's no help from heaven. The Lord has forsaken us for X, Y, Z reasons. And so we find ourselves in that condition because like Gideon, we don't discern the power and presence of the Lord as he speaks to us through his word. So let me explain how this works. Brothers and sisters, are you with me now? Listen how this works. I pray God, wherever I go to preach, give me the word for that church, that service. Grip my heart with the word I should preach. Every time. Been doing it for over 30 years. So this is the word the Lord gripped my heart with. For this church. That you need to take to heart. Because I am just the mailman delivering a message from the almighty God of heaven and earth. There's a reason. There's a reason, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has brought us to Gideon. Gideon who thought it was hopelessly done with. There's no, there's no change coming. It's going to be like this forever. So I'm I'm standing here thinking, well, you know, this is the Lord's word. It, it It is the Lord's word. It's the inspired book. And this is not just about an Old Testament history lesson that what took place in Israel so long ago. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So here's the Lord this morning through this clay vessel saying, I have a word for this little band of people. It doesn't matter how troubled you are with the unbelief and the despair and the discouragement. The Lord came to a man in that very state and looked upon him. And that's all that it takes 
just God causing his face to shine. You being helped by his countenance makes all the difference in the world. We have an advantage over Gideon. We have a completed revelation of God. We've all heard it preached, and we've all at least acknowledged it to be true, that whenever we read or hear this word, God is in Christ speaking to us. Do you believe that? You've not come here just to hear John Wagner preach a sermon. You've come here to hear what God has to say. Did you come before you ever walked out the door? Lord, speak to me today. Did you do that? Speak to me. Let me hear your voice because I need it. I can't do without it. Our little church can't do without hearing from you. Is that why you're here? When the word of God is read or preached in our hearing, when we read it privately, meditate upon it, we are truly being given the privilege that Gideon was giving because this very same Christ draws near and says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. How we're robbed of spiritual light spiritual sight and stronger faith and confidence about our circumstances, which seem to be so bleak because we fail, we fail to recognize, to realize, and to believe this is a word from the Lord to my soul. Once you get the word, Everything is fine. We see, we live, we walk, we war by faith. And it is unbelief that leaves us weak and weary and worried. But, 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 the wonderful thing that I want to point out is even that Gideon was riddled with unbelief, even though he was living in this, in this fear and failure in the valley of gloom, Christ still came to him, and Christ still looked upon him, and Christ still used him. I find that very comforting. I find that very encouraging. 
But the Lord comes to his people when they're so riddled with unbelief. Thirdly, the Lord looked upon Gideon. In spite of the fact that his family was poor, and he was the least in his father's house. That's what he says in verse 15. Gideon's responding to the angel. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Who, me? It was all like that. Who, me? 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 Me be a catalyst? The Lord would use me to be that kind of an influence that would change the course of things, whether in my family, in the house of God, at work, whatever. It might. The Lord used me, really? Well, I'm the least... I'm at the bottom of the list. I like that thinking, actually. Because it's when we think we're at the top of the list that we become unusable. You see, the very reasons which he gave for why he was not up to this task were the very reasons that made him an excellent choice to be Israel's deliverer. Because the Lord delights. He just loves to take the least and the little and the nobodies and the no-names, the things of naught, to take Paul's words, to do his greatest works, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The bulk of the disciples were unlearned fishermen, plain old blue-collar workers who had no seminary training. But they turned the world upside down, rather right side up. You may feel yourself to be so little and consequential, So little in faith, little in grace, little in prayer, little in spiritual power, little in wisdom. So little that you could never be used in the Lord's work. But that would be making a terrible mistake. God's word says that he looks upon the humble, but the proud he knows is far off. He delights to take the powerless and the poor and look upon them and empower them to do things they never thought possible. So you see, you don't really have an excuse, do you? Nope. We, we can get ourselves so worked up about how we view ourselves, how we look upon us, 
and about how other people look upon us and uh, what other people think about us. That's really how they look at us. But, but the only thing that really matters is that the Lord looks upon us. That's what he thinks about us. And, and when you know the Lord has looked upon you and the, the eyes of the Lord are, are eyes of pity and their eyes of compassion, their eyes of tenderness, their eyes of love, their eyes of acceptance, then you won't care how others look upon you. You won't care what they think about you. You have the eyes of the Lord on you and that's all that matters. Grace, grace is all about Christ's power in our weakness. The Lord looking upon us. That changed Gideon. It empowered him. He had an expectation now because the Lord looked upon him. So what's the walk away? What's the walk away? What do I walk away this morning from the message? Well, here we are. We're a feeble lot, aren't we? Poor, the least. So many would look upon a little gathering like this, nothing. Write you off. Maybe you've written yourselves off. I don't know. I don't live among you. That would be a very, very foolish mistake in light of what is so clear, abundantly clear from Scripture. All we need is the shining of God's face. So I would expect, brothers and sisters, something to take place when there are united prayer closets in this congregation. Lord, look upon us. Lord, cause your face to shine upon us. United prayer closets Everyone saying, Lord, look down. Because we cannot do this without you. May the Lord write his word on our hearts for his namesake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we need thy spirit to come and to preach on long after the voice of thy servant is silent. May we all know what it is to realize afresh all that we need is for thee to look upon us. It is the look that makes the difference. Do that, we pray. Cause the face to shine 
We're praying, Lord, according to Scripture. Prayer found in the very lips and the hearts of thy servants of old. And we take it up again to thee this morning. Look upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.